And I will invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark this morning. We're going to return to Exodus in a couple of weeks. Uh, but this week we're going to join the church around the world in remembering, celebrating that final week in Jesus' life, a culmination of His uh, mission. So we're going to enter Jerusalem with uh, Jesus, and we're going to read Mark's version of that event. And one of the most important questions that Mark lays before us in his whole gospel is really the question, who is Jesus? What did Jesus actually come to do? And even when Jesus tells His disciples that the Son of Man would be lifted up, that the Messiah would die at the hands of Jew and Gentile, they don't get it. Jesus is surrounded by people, yet He's very much alone as He comes into the city of Jerusalem. So we're going to read the first 11 verses of Mark chapter 11. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of His disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it, and some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and He sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So this is God's holy and inspired word. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are grateful for the power and authority of your word and that you would choose to reveal yourself to us in this way. And now, Lord, we ask Your help as You speak to us through Your Word. We know that it is a Word that we need, and we know that You will use this Word to accomplish Your purpose. So we ask You to do that in our hearts now. We ask You to guide our understanding. Your servant would speak faithfully, that You would use this Word to grow us in the grace and knowledge of our King. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. You know, there are some things that just cannot be ignored, no matter how hard you try. You can turn a blind eye, you can shut off the news, but there are some things that just are so significant or out of the ordinary that, you know, you're, you're going to hear about it. You're going to have a, an opinion on what's going on. Um, right now in our land, if you, if you hear the two words, the wall, just about everybody knows what you're talking about. And everybody has a, an opinion, a perspective on this. It's hard to ignore. Thinking of something, you know, a more local experience that we might have. As, you know, as a family, you, you drive into your neighborhood, as we did uh, as a family a little over a week ago, and you, you see that there are two police squad cars sitting at the top of the cul-de-sac. You know, that 
that's right in your backyard. That's hard to ignore. And it's something you just sort of think about for a little while. Well, why are they there? And you know, what, what happened? Do I need to follow up in some way? And now we get to Mark chapter 11. Right in the backyard of Jerusalem comes Jesus. The Passover is just a few days away, towards the end of the week, six days away. So there's a large crowd that's beginning to form in Jerusalem to make preparations for this. And not long before, Jesus had spent time in Bethany, which is only about a mile and a half, not too far, on the east side of Jerusalem. And guess what he did in Bethany? He raised someone from the dead. That is something you really can't ignore. This is very out of the ordinary. I mean, even without Facebook and text messaging and all that stuff, word travels pretty fast. So now there's a host of people beginning to gather to see Jesus. And you know what? They're pretty excited about this. You know, Jesus has he's shown He has power. He's healed people. Now He's raised someone from the dead. You know, this could actually be the man. You know, no more of this Roman oppression, this Roman chain. You know, hey, Hosanna. Hey, hey, he's coming in on a colt. That fits. Hosanna in the highest. And so they welcome this man of, of power with these cries of, of deliverance. But what we learn just, just a short time later, in fact, a verse later, is that this man of power is still alone. Jesus was their man, but he was not their God. Many are willing to lay down branches, even their cloaks, for Jesus. But would they really lay down their hearts for him? That's something that you and I really need to ponder this morning. We consider Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Is, is Jesus just the man? You know, is, is He our man in times of trouble? Or is He the God-man come to deliver? I mean, this can't be ignored. The, the crowds couldn't ignore it. They may miss the ultimate significance, but something huge was happening. We can't ignore this either. There are implications for the way Jesus enters into this city. So I want us to ask two, two main questions, really two questions we're going to ask of the text. Who is this king and who is your king? Who is this king? Who is your king? So this triumphal entry, as it's so often called, is recorded in all four of the Gospels. But what's very characteristic of Mark's writing style is, is it's shorter, it's more subtle in its imagery. He doesn't quote the prophets uh, like in Zechariah 9, like Matthew and John do, but it's clear that Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a colt in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. That this is the king, the king of Zion, the Messiah, would come to his people mounted on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He's the righteous one. The one who would save his people. But he's not coming with, with armies and fanfare, and all the fireworks, and the celebration that goes along with that. He is coming humbly. He's coming in meekness. Strong enough to, strong enough to deliver His people, but this, this is a yoked, a reserved strength that He gives in perfect measure at the perfect time. 
It's a meek entrance. As Jesus comes riding into town on this baby animal that, that really demonstrates the humble nature of His arrival. His kingdom comes with humility, not with, with shouts and swords. I was thinking of a TV show. It was on CBS a while back. Maybe it's still on. I haven't really spent any time watching it. But it was called Undercover Boss. And the premise of the show is that you know, the head honcho, the boss, the CEO of the company, he slips anonymously, he or she, into you know, the everyday workings of the company. You know, maybe into the kitchen or into the assembly line, um, into the mechanic shop or something like that, to see how the employees are treating each other, how they're, how they're treating uh, customers. So it's this undercover mission that, that takes the, the one of highest seniority into that place of, of beginnings, those who are just starting out. So here the, the king in Mark chapter 11 comes humbly to his people to fight for them, but fighting in a way that they're not prepared for. He comes to serve, not to kill. He's going to do battle, but the fight will be through humble sacrifice. So even as Jesus comes humbly and gently into Jerusalem, we get a picture of this king, a kingdom that, that comes in humility and even weakness. I really think it informs our own entrance into the kingdom of Christ. We enter this kingdom through our own weakness. Acknowledging our own need. Admitting our brokenness that we don't have it all together. We come in repentance before the Lord. That's our entrance. That's how we live in the kingdom. The triumph of Jesus his victory comes through loss. So as you and I live as disciples of Jesus, members in this kingdom family, we're to give ourselves away. Our greatest gain, our greatest winning is in our losing and sacrifice for another. And I don't know about you, but that, that stings a little bit. I don't like to lose. I don't like to give up the little comforts of life so that I am more able to help my brother or a stranger in need. But that's the posture of our king as he comes riding into the city. He would, he would take that meekness, that humility, all the way to the cross. Giving everything for me, for you. We're going to focus our attention on that praise, that sacrifice later on this week. It's a love that loses everything for the freedom and redemption of another. That's what we've been called to as children of God. So this king comes with humility and meekness, but he also comes in great majesty. The details of the text here help us understand this a little bit. Maybe you notice as we are reading through this that seven of these 11 verses are all in preparation for Jesus' ride. There's a lot, of, just a lot of ink spilled here about getting this little animal. And we've seen that riding on a colt is in fulfillment of the prophecy, demonstrates humility. But riding on an animal that had never been ridden before is a claim of majesty. See that the premise is that no one else 
was to touch what royalty touches. It's the sovereign that makes the first move. A few years ago, uh, President Obama and his wife took a trip to England, uh, spent some time with, with the Queen in Buckingham Palace, and uh, Mrs. Obama was sharing a conversation with uh, Queen Elizabeth, and to the shock of many, she reached out her hand, sort of put her hand on the back of the Queen. Uh, now in America, we think, well, la-di-da, who really cares about that? Um, but to the, to the British, and particularly sort of the, the high-class traditionalists, that was taboo. You didn't do that. Only if the queen makes a gesture, you know, are you able then to reach out a hand or to make a gesture in return. So that, that caused quite a stir. Subjects don't touch royalty by their own initiative. In the case before us, if a king was going to ride, then no one else was to, to use this animal. And according to the oral tradition of the Jews, the, the Mishnah, no one was permitted to ride a king's horse. In the Old Testament, an unbroken horse or an unbroken donkey, one that had never been yoked before, was considered sacred. We have an example of this in, in 1 Samuel 6. You can look at that sometime. But only cows that had, that had never been yoked could be used to pull the Ark of the Covenant. Now think about that for a second. This is saying something about Jesus. The king is being treated as if he's as holy as the ark. This is royalty. This is true greatness. And it shows us, consistent with what Jesus has been teaching about the Messiah's rule, what the messianic kingdom that so many expected, it was to be ruled by God Himself. Not just a human king like David. Both human and divine expectations for this Messiah are coming together here. This king will reign forever in majesty over his people. Okay, so those people are crying out, Hosanna. Here's where I thought the, the kids may be able to help me a little bit. This is literally a, a shout, almost a scream. So kids, I want you to help me for a second. You have full permission. I know we're in the middle of church, in the middle of a sermon. But I want you to shout Hosanna. I'm going to go 3, 2, 1 as loud as you possibly can. You ready? 3, 2, 1. Hosanna! That wasn't bad. That wasn't bad. Let's try it one more time. I really want you to shout this. And I know some of you have got a little bit more there. Alright, here we go. 3, 2, 1. Hosanna, save us, help, save us, we pray. And these words are, are an echo from Psalm 118. It's a celebration of triumph. So the crowds are shouting out, really proclaiming more than they know here with these words. Hosanna, the King has come. And He's come in all meekness and majesty, but not in the way that they expected. Think of Luke's rendering of this event. You know, the Pharisees are actually telling Jesus to quiet his disciples. Um, you know, this, this is causing a little too much of a stir. We have preparations to do. Come on now, get, get these guys under control. You remember how Jesus responds? He says, if they stop, then the very rocks are going to cry out. It's Jesus' way of saying in that moment, the king has come to his people. This is a big deal. Majesty has arrived. 
That's how significant this is. And yet, as Jesus rides into the city, he dismounts this colt, goes into the place of worship, the very symbol of God's presence among the people. Where are the crowds? The king has suddenly come into his temple, the prophet says in Malachi. Yet we read there's no worship. There's no honor paid to Jesus. He looks around, no doubt in preparation for what he would do the next day, and he leaves the city for the night. The crowds may be shouting more than they know, but Jesus knows exactly what is happening. All these verses, finding the colt, riding the way Jesus does, tells us. It tells he's in full control of what is going on. Full control of his own destiny. He knows the appointed time, the hour and the events, how they would unfold. All in fulfillment of the Scriptures. His life is shaped by the Word of God. So this coming into the city and these events that you'll read about this next week, all according to plan. Jesus is in control. Let, let that be an encouragement for you this morning. God's mission... His plan for creation is all on schedule. Right now. His plan for this nation. His plan for this community. His plan for your family. And His plan for you personally is on schedule. He's in control. Some of you are sitting here this morning. You may not feel like celebrating. Shouting Hosanna would be pretty hard to do. Maybe your family is going through a difficult stretch. A lot of unanswered questions. The days ahead, the weeks ahead. You need to know that God is in control. And that you can rest in His plan. He goes ahead of you. Nothing catches Him off guard. That should give us a great assurance, confidence as we face our days. So humility, meekness, majesty all characterize this King Jesus. But does that sound like your King? Who is your King? We all have one. We've been made to worship, pay tribute to one higher, greater than ourselves. It's unavoidable. So who's on the throne in your life? The disciples, they spread their cloaks on this colt. As Jesus comes riding into the city, more folks are taking off their outer garments, cutting branches down, lining the street. Again, this was another gesture of, of respect and honor by the people. We see this done in, in the Old Testament. Example in 2 Kings 9, as men lay down their outer garments uh, before the new king in Jehu, saying, we, we acknowledge the authority here. We acknowledge and are devoted to this one. Yet once Jesus enters that city, there's, there's, there's no more mention of the crowds. No more praise and honor. The Messiah is riding before a people who think they know the type of king that they need, but fail to see and to worship Him as the true King of Israel. So here, we can, we can be impressed by Jesus. He can be our man. You can listen carefully even to what Jesus says. We may even adopt a set of, of beliefs. You know, a code based on the teachings of Jesus. We may be the nicest person that we know. 
yet miss what it means to be a child of the King. King Jesus demands our full allegiance. He demands our hearts. We must follow Him all the way in worship as both Savior and Lord because to acknowledge who Jesus really is, that has major implications. To submit to His Lordship will mean a complete reorientation of our lives. God speaks to us through the prophet Joel. He says, Return to Me, rend your hearts and not your garments. So friends, we can't stop and just be satisfied with the branches. And then go about the business of life as if nothing has ever really happened. Jesus changes everything. We must be willing to lose everything, to lay down our hearts, our lives before Him. So is this your King? Do you and I welcome His entrance into our lives with submission and worship? The condition of our hearts, what we give our hearts to, really says a lot about who our King is. It really affirms, it's affirmed by by the work of our hands. My birthday a few weeks ago, I received some some wonderful gifts from my family. Um, Beautiful box set of the greatest comic ever made in Calvin and Hobbes. Um, Great theological series. Um, But I also received some some special notes from my, my kids and what made them so special was that they came from my children. They spent the time thinking about these words, making the little drawings. Now they did this not because I'm king over my children. You know, prayerfully, we all serve the same king in our house. Um, they did this because they love me. What did they... You know, they're, they're loyal to their dad. They wanted to do something creative and special to show that love. Our love, our loyalty is demonstrated by the works of our hands. This is something we see in this text that is actually encouraging on on the part of the crowd. They welcome Jesus with their hands. They're they're pulling off their cloaks and and ripping branches down to pay tribute. The disciples do listen to Jesus' instruction, although they may, may have found it a little strange. They do go to fetch this donkey. Without asking questions. They put their loyalty and allegiance uh, into action. So our actions as a church, our actions as individuals will show our allegiance. Ultimately, who it is that we serve. I think when we meet someone at our home, we meet someone here at church, in the community, do we just stop with a hello and just leave it there? Or do we go that you make that little extra effort to make them feel welcome and safe? cup for the thirsty, clean shirt for uh, the tattered. Maybe a visit to the one who says, you know, no, don't worry about it. I know you're busy. And then we say those words that are so easy to say, I'll be praying for you. Do we actually do this? Do we actually do it sincerely? Our actions, the work of our hands, heart motivation behind this work is really what answers the question, who is my king? So the crowd shouts, Hosanna, this warrior king. Free them from the shackles of, of Rome and establish David's throne. But King Jesus comes for so much more than this. He comes to bring freedom from the shackles of sin. 
comes with meekness, majesty to fight for his people. And his weapon is not going to be a sword. His weapon comes with the words, it is finished. His life for yours. I mean, what other king has done that? What other king could do that? I mean, while the people are scurrying around Jerusalem, preparing for the Passover, the deliverer, the Passover lamb, rides into town. There are some things that cannot be ignored. Is this your king? We're going to pray together. And I'd like us to offer the prayer that the Lord has taught us in His Word, a prayer that really shapes our prayer as God's people. Um, so let's use that prayer. It is printed in your bulletin uh, if you need the words to that. But I invite you to pray along with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.